This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey everybody, Lane here with the Simple Passive Cash Flow Podcast. Before we get started, please take the time to leave an iTunes review. The more reviews we have, the more iTunes ranks us up higher on the podcast rankings. And second, if you guys have any questions, make sure you email it to me at Lane Simple Passive Cashflow. Today we got Rod Khalif on the line. Hey, how you doing, Rod? Awesome, Lane. Thanks for having me on the show, buddy. Rod is another high-level real estate investor, but he didn't start there. He started with single families, and then he moved into multifamily. Rod, maybe tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. It's a painful one. I will preface that. I've owned 2,000 houses and apartment buildings in three states. I started in Denver, Oh, got a lifetime ago, and I bought 500 houses there in a buy-and-hold strategy. Ended up selling all those, which I wish I hadn't at this point. But then I bought 200 houses in Memphis and ultimately 13, maybe 1,400 houses in Florida where I live now. And the painful part of the story is I had 800 houses. I did this all buy-and-hold. I've done a lot of flipping and wholesaling and things that I'm sure many of your listeners have heard before. But I had 800 houses when 2008 happened. And in fact, let me back up. In 2006, I also had 800 houses, and my net worth went up $17 million. And I thought I was a god. I thought I could do no wrong. I did the math on that, and it's like $3,500 an hour in a 40-hour work week. I could barely get my head through the door. I thought I really knew what I was doing. But then 08 happened. And I had 800 houses, but I also had some apartment complexes. And here in Florida, because the taxes and insurance are so high, and the caliber of property that I had was pretty much the D-class properties with a lot of turnover. And when they turn over, they need a lot of repairs. When 08 happened, even before 08 happened, I had to sell a house occasionally or refinance a house occasionally to cover the cash flow because they didn't quite cash flow, believe it or not, 800 houses. My multifamily did. And when 08 happened, it crashed so far that I was actually at a 30% loan to value. For your listeners don't understand what that means. That means I owed 30 cents on every dollar of real estate that I owned. But it crashed so far that I was actually upside down into 09. And, And I ended up losing the majority of those 800 houses. But what was interesting in the lesson that I got, I think you call it the Han Solo moment. The Han Solo moment for me was... My multifamily did just fine. My message, as you know, I've got a podcast as well, and it's about multifamily real estate investing. And my message on that and whenever I speak is if you're going to buy and hold, consider multifamily because all I can give you is my story and my story is a painful one. Now, I know there are lots of very successful single family buy and hold investors out there. And because the natural progression is people typically move from single family and get into the larger stuff anyway, there's no reason not to start with the larger stuff. Even if you're a first-time buyer, consider buying a plex or buying a duplex, a fourplex or something because what's great about it is if you're a little bit vacant, you'll be okay in most cases if you buy right. And so that's the message I got. And for a lot of reasons, you can imagine 800 houses. It's painful to even look back and think about it now because I had houses two hours in each direction. And just the logistics of managing a lot of houses is much more challenging than having them all in one location. Everything from showing property, you had to drive an hour or two to show a property to, you know, your maintenance man would go out to your house to make a repair and realize that, 
he needed parts and he'd have to drive to a Home Depot or a Lowe's or whatever. And the costs associated with those logistical challenges, they drive up your costs versus, and every house has different components. It has different appliances. It has different mechanical systems. So you can't really stockpile parts when you're a multiple homeowner like I was. But if you've got a 10 unit or a 20 unit or a 30 unit, typically they have the same parts. So you can stock parts and you can send the guy, your maintenance person to one location and he can stay there and do his work. And same with leasing. Logistically, the way I did it is a nightmare. I look back on it and I wish I'd focused on multifamily, but you know how you get into a comfort zone and I pretty much owned the single family space. I really knew what I was doing and so and you had your own lazy. property management team at this point. Oh, sure. I've always had my own. I still do now. I very strongly believe in managing your own property for a number of reasons, not the least of which is if you hire a property management company, which I have done, you have to manage them anyway. There are effective ways to manage small multifamily, even if you're remote. That's my shtick, Lane. I really believe in multifamily versus single family for a long-term strategy. Now, can you make a ton of money flipping single family? Absolutely. Or wholesaling it? Absolutely. But if you're going to buy and hold and build lifetime cash flow, I recommend you do it with multifamily. A lot of people are listening. None of them have 800 houses or 400 houses. Oh, sure, sure. A lot of them but I didn't, I didn't start there. I started one at a time and just like everybody listening. Let's rewind the clocks a little bit and take us back to that first rental when you're kind of building one, two, three, uh, or four. Sure. I was 18. I was in Denver, and I can tell you my first rental. I remember it. I paid 18000 for it, too. I remember that. But it was one of those shotgun units, and most of you listening probably don't know what I'm talking about. But basically, it was a very old, kind of like a row house, where you walk in the living room, you walk through the bedroom to get into the kitchen, and the bathroom was off the kitchen. They kept the plumbing together, and it had a bad cat urine odor. I had to put lye in the basement. I mean, it was bad. It was really, really bad. That was my first house. I didn't get discouraged. And the reason I think that I've been so successful in real estate, and I'm back, by the way, I've recovered from 08 and I've got a $10 million litigation support company and I've still got real estate and I'm gearing up to buy very, very heavily. I can talk about that as well. But the reason that I think I've been successful is that I've been willing to do what other people aren't willing to do. For example, in Denver, I literally knocked on doors of people that were facing foreclosure and I'd say, hey, I'm Rod Cleef. I saw you're having a little trouble. I help people out of this situation and do you want to chat? And that was it. And anytime, and I'm sure you as well, whenever you talk to people that are willing to go that extra step or do what other people aren't willing to do, typically that equates to success. So you started acquiring these properties pretty quickly, I bet. Yes. No, no, I really did. And I actually got my broker's license when I was 18. I was the youngest at the time in Colorado to get his broker's license. Back then, you didn't have to have experience. You could do it all with schooling. So I became a broker. There's an agent and then there's a broker. I became a broker when I turned 18 and I started selling real estate. That's how I actually got into the business. And I didn't make any money. I, even though I really worked hard, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any confidence. And so it wasn't until my third year that I actually made money in the, the broker space, in the selling other people's houses space. And that was when I went out there and started knocking on doors and doing, like I said, what other people aren't willing to do. Buying single family homes, I tell a lot of people, make sure you 
use leverage, but you make sure your properties have that adequate cash flow buffer, even after capital expenditures, repairs, property management, vacancy. What kind of LTV were you using on your properties? I was in the right place at the right time through the Denver cycle and really through the Florida cycle, except for 08. But let me back up because I don't focus on loan to value. I focus on cash flow. In fact, I just wrote a book and I'll even give it to your listeners for free. But I focus on cash flow period. And the title of my book is The New Rules of Real Estate Investing. And I hadn't planned on mentioning it. But since you're talking about my criteria, I really believe if you're buying and holding, value is irrelevant. You need to focus on one thing, and that's your cash flow. And make sure that, like you said, and you listed them, make sure that you've listed all your expenses down, including a vacancy factor, including a marketing budget, including management if you need it. And don't just say, okay, well, I've got this house that will rent for $1,000 a month and my payment's only 800 There are other charges involved, so you want to make sure you've accounted for everything. But to me, that's the barometer. If you're buying and holding. If you're interested in buying to ultimately sell or flip, then value comes into play. But I don't operate that way anymore. And because I wasn't focused on cash flow back in 2006 when my net worth went up $17 million, I was focused on the value. And I think it's a mistake. Those of you listening, there's likely a contraction coming. It's going to happen. And that's how real estate goes up and down. And there are fantastic opportunities when it happens. But we're nearing the top. When that contraction happens... You better have focused on cash flow because if you haven't, you're going to get hurt like I did. That's my answer to your question, Lane. I don't talk about loan to value. I talk about cash flow. Here in Simple Passive Cash Flow, we think appreciation is sort of like gambling and we underwrite our properties usually with two to three hundred dollars of passive cash flow in there after all CapEx expenses, etc. That's prudent. I like what I'm hearing. That's good. Let's just say 08 happens again right now. What happened to your rents at that time? Be, I've actually well, that's never a good heard question. what actually happened no, no, in real life. No, that's a good question. And rents really didn't contract a whole lot. They did a little bit, but vacancies went up. People would move in together. As a result of that, rents came down because people were vying for whatever renters they could get. My experience was there was a lot of turnover. It's very easy when you own a property not to think about the cost of a turnover. So let's just pick a house, for example, and let's say we use your $300 ultimate passive cash flow from a house as a barometer. Let's say you've got a house and it becomes empty. Chances are it's usually if they've skipped or they haven't paid their rent, it's going to sit empty for two months, typically. It's going to take you three or four weeks to get it ready, and then usually it can easily be two months. You're going to lose whatever the rent is for those two months. So let's say it's $1,000. So you've lost 2000 of your projected gross cash flow. Then if you're in the C to D class properties, they're not as well taken care of. So you've got to factor in a turnover. And that turnover could include carpet. And if it does, you're talking about usually a minimum of a $2,000 turnover cost. Usually my average was probably around 3000 turnover. So if you factor that in, you've wiped out your cash flow for over a year between the lost rent and the cost of the turnover. That's why I'm a proponent for multifamily. Because you can sustain, like if you have a fourplex and one unit is empty, typically if you've bought it right, you could still cash flow. Now, of course, the same applies if you've got four houses and one of them goes empty, then typically you're okay as well. But I want your listeners to realize when a house turns over, it's not just 
there's some expenses involved. And just go in with both eyes wide open. Can you make a lot of money? Absolutely. Did I make a lot of money with my houses? Absolutely. But just make sure that you've looked at all the potential expenses and realize that when there's turnover, the expenses go way up. And if you just have one or two houses, it can wipe out your cash flow for the year. Just a couple of thoughts there. And when you do have that turnover, I've seen it. I mean, you're just going to have to pay a few thousand dollars to fix something. I don't know what that something's yeah. going to be. but That's very common. That's exactly right. And keep in mind, if you're at $300 a month and you pay 3000 to fix something up and you've got even one month's lost rent, you've lost your cash flow for the whole year. I'm not trying to discourage anybody. I love real estate. I love single family houses. All of you listening should be looking and buying, but just make sure you take all that into account so you're safe, so you're protected. Again, I come from, I call them seminars. I don't call them failures. And that happened to be an incredibly big seminar for me. And I've had lots of seminars over the years. I've had fantastic successes and I've had these seminars, but that was a big one. And I don't want any of your listeners to have it. And I will tell you, and I'm sure people listening are considering maybe flipping houses. I would tell you right now, because ultimately there will be a contraction. Sometime in, say, in the next one to three years, we are definitely contracting. Just because that's what happens. And that's not a thing to be afraid of. It's a thing to actually look forward to because there's an incredible opportunity to buy when that happens. But do not be doing high-dollar flips right now, especially if you've got short-term debt. Because if you get caught, the music stops, what happens when a contraction happens? Everything grinds to a halt. The banks tighten up, nothing sells, and it stays that way for a while. If you're doing a high-dollar flip, you could really get hurt. And those are the guys that got hurt in 08, uh, really got hurt. Can you do the moderately priced stuff? Absolutely. You'll be just fine because that stuff's typically always selling and you can sell it. I'm not trying to, again, be negative here because I think there's some incredible opportunities coming. I'm just going with both eyes wide open. Yeah, I totally agree. That's what all the local flippers are doing here these days is they say, hey, you got to go on the high end. I just kind of chuckle no, to myself. No, absolutely not. And, and I'll add another thing. If you buy multifamily, don't get five-year balloon debt right now. Go seven years or 10 years. Otherwise, don't do it. Because let me give you just a quick rundown on that. A multifamily is, unless you're two to four units, residential multifamily is two to four units. But if you buy a fiveplex or higher, the value is based on a multiple of the net operating income. The net operating income is the difference between the gross rents and your expenses. That leaves the NOI, net operating income. Because the property is valued based on the net operating income, if let's say you go out and buy, a, say, a 10-unit and you get five-year debt on it, and we're in the bottom of the contraction when it happens, you have to refinance or sell at that five-year mark if the cap, and I'm going to get a little confusing, the multiple of the net operating income is called a cap rate. And the higher that number, the lower the price. The lower the number, the higher the price. But cap rates will expand in a contraction. So they'll get higher. So the values will go down. If your value goes down and you don't have the loan to value, you need to refinance to refinance your five-year debt, you're going to be in trouble. And that's why a lot of people will get hurt when this contraction happens. And there'll be some great opportunities because a lot of stuff will go back to the banks because the values will have gone down and they won't be able to refinance or sell, even though they're cash flowing, which is just a very painful place to be. You're getting cash flow, but you can't satisfy the debt that you have because you've got a balloon. Anyway, I kind of went off on a tangent there. But if you go out there and buy a five plus unit, guys, make sure you don't get five year debt right now because you don't want to be caught at the very bottom of this contraction when it happens. You want to have cash and be able to take advantage of it and buy. But Rod, what if I pick up a project that I can force that 
this huge value add in the first one or two years. And well, I would tell you be very careful because if in one to two years we hit the contraction, you won't be able to sell. Again, my focus right now is cash flow. If you're doing a project, me personally, I wouldn't develop anything right now. But again, this is me. I had a $50 million seminar, okay? I thought I was set for life and I got my butt kicked. I might be a little more cautious than most. But if I can just, again, get your listeners to go in with both eyes wide open. Yes, there are incredible opportunities, but account for the fact that we could contract and we likely will. Now, with Trump, who knows how it's going to go, but nobody knows. I've been through three of these cycles, okay, and I've made a lot of money in some of them. Let me give you an example. I had a house in Denver that I bought back in the early 80s for somewhere in the 50000 range. I put a two-car garage on it, and I sold it for 76000 made a nice little profit. It was a flip, but I did some work to it. The market crashed. I bought that exact same house back for $18,000. I sold it for seventy six or seventy seven something like that. I bought it back for eighteen. I held it for three more years and sold it for one fifty. That's what can happen in a market cycle. My point in this is just if you're going to do a project or you're going to buy a property, just take into account that there's likely going to be a contraction and make sure that you're safe. That's all. All right, Rod. So you did this transition from single family to multifamily. And what I've been hearing lately and what I've been kind of reading up on is entrepreneurs, they need to keep reinventing themselves. They need to keep, you know, like Tiger Woods, change his swing. It's the difference between someone who goes the good, the great, and then compared to Ricky Rubio, who's the Minnesota Timberwolves point guard who came into the league, he didn't practice, he didn't get better, and he now he's the same player like a decade later. Yeah. So uh, using him as a bad example. Well, I think continual learning is a must, buddy, if that's where you're going with this. I think you need to continue to learn. You need to take in all the information you hear and make your own determinations. So what what I wanted to get at was you went from you were a successful single family operator and you were going to multifamily. Now, put yourself in the shoes of a lot of these listeners that have maybe two to eight single family homes and they hear mm-hmm. all this stuff about multifamily and they want to do it, but it's a little bit different game, you know, if they're buying an eight plex, 18, or they're going to jump into a syndication. It, it is a little different game. And not to put a plug in for my podcast, but if they listen, they'll get a lot of information from that. I'm willing to give them my book for free. It's basically a textbook on multifamily investing. So if they want it, all they have to do is text my name, R-O-D, to 41411, and we'll send them a copy. And right. it's 200 pages, soup to nuts on multifamily investing. It'll take some of the fear out. Not being one of the big boys in investing quite yet, a.k.a. the accredited investor in the eyes of the SEC, it's tough to find good options for investing. But then I started investing in the American Homeowner Preservation Fund, or AHP Fund, which is crowdfunding the mortgage crisis in America. The fund collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund, it was awesome when they approached me to become an advertiser of the company. You can start investing with as little as 100 bucks, and if you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email to lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. It's a learning curve. That's all it is. And sure, it's a little scary. But if you want to start small, buy a fourplex. Anybody that's bought a single family can buy a fourplex because it's just multiplied times four. Same financing. It's residential financing. That's what's fantastic about it. Those of you that are young that want to buy your first property, go buy a fourplex because you can get an FHA loan. You can get residential low-cost financing. And they will typically allow you to use the rent 
from the other three units, if there are leases, a percentage of that rent towards you qualifying for that fourplex. Because you can qualify for more as well. To me, that's not intimidating. That you can do. Listen to my podcast, Lifetime Cash Flow Through Real Estate Investing is the name of my podcast. Check it out if you're interested in multifamily or get a copy of my free book. But don't be scared of it. You just have to learn it. You have to get out there and study it like anything else because if you look at enough properties, if you do the book study, you'll start to build your competence. And then once you've built your competence, you'll build your confidence. And at some point, if you want to syndicate, which is bringing investors into deals, you'll need to be able to influence people. And that will only come once you have confidence. If what I've said is appealed to you, then learn this and buckle down and learn it like anything else. And you'll be a huge success. Like you, Arlene, you're kicking butt with this. And this, I'm sure you share the same message. It's just a learning curve. I started listening to your podcast about a year ago. And I'm really conscious of my influence that I do take in. Now, take a look at your podcast list, what your newsletters are. And if you got some flippers in there, that's maybe why you're thinking that way. Or you got the people you hang out with, they're flipping houses. I know once I started listening to your podcast and a few others with this multifamily stuff, it really came to me. And that was kind of my trigger to move into multifamily. Do you remember recall awesome. something way back when, Rod, when that made you finally jump from the single family to multifamily strategy? I've always had multifamily. I mean, I had multifamily in Denver. I had multifamily in Memphis. I had multifamily here in Florida. I had 80 plus units. I had 23 units. I had 50 plus units. But I got lazy. When you're good at something, I was really good at buying single family houses. I mean, I bought almost 200 houses in Memphis in a year from different owners. And I just had a small team. I'm very good with systems. But I got lazy and I wish that I had focused on multifamily. If I had, I'd probably be on the back of my yacht right now. But anyway, there was no pivotal turning point. I didn't have the, and this is embarrassing for me to say, I didn't have that cash flow realization till 2010. After my implosion, I was like, you know what? These apartments did just fine. Had I just been in apartments, there was contraction, sure. There was less revenue, but they made it. That was just such an eye-opener for me, and it was a painful time and all that. I repositioned into another business, and it all worked out. But that's why I started the podcast. I wanted people to get that message. If you're buying and holding, consider a multifamily or be very careful focused on cash flow. That's all. Like the name of your podcast, be focused on cash flow. What's something in the last couple of weeks that you've been working on, and like a new initiative, and what's a six-month project you're working on these days? Sure. I have a team in the Philippines and I have a full-time guy here and we are developing lists. I talk about the strategy a little bit in my book, but basically, particularly in multifamily, most multifamily is owned in LLCs or limited partnerships. A lot of people mail to those properties with the hopes that they'll get an off-market deal, that somebody will call them, just like if you're calling single-family homes. But very few people, again, will do what other people aren't willing to do. So I have this team in the Philippines that are digging in and finding out who actually owns that LLC and getting home addresses and phone numbers. And then I've got an inside sales team here at my litigation support company that sits idle a lot, and I'm going to have them do an outbound call campaign setting up appointments for me with sellers. And now, I have some resources, but that's something any of you listening could do. You just go to the county assessor's office, you get a list of all the duplexes or fourplexes, or even houses for that matter. But if you're in the plexes 
or five units or higher, typically you'll see they're owned in an LLC. Go to the Secretary of State's office, find out who owns it, find out what their home address is, and then you'll be mailing them at their home address. You'll have a much better response rate. If you want to take it to another level, look up their phone numbers. You can do it a number of different ways. And if you don't want to make the initial call, you can hire somebody very inexpensively to set appointments for you. And then you're just talking to the seller when they have an interest in talking to you. And the call is so simple. Hey, my boss has some property in the area or lives in the area or drives by your house occasionally or a property occasionally and just wanted to know if you'd ever consider selling. And if the answer is no, then you just keep them on the list. Say, do you mind if I call you in a year or two and see if you changed your mind and just develop a list, write down everything they say. And some of them will say, yeah, I've thought about it. What do you give me? And then you'll have scripted these people out or you're doing it yourself. And yeah, I just want to point out you get deals. There that you just got to keep doing something different than everybody's doing. I was at a real estate meeting right. the other day and a bunch of new people were saying, oh, we're going to mail to absentee owner, probate, divorce. And I was like, dude, that's like the same thing they've been doing for like 10, 20 years. Do something different like Facebook ads. Just yeah, just no, there different. you go. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And that's great. And we didn't have any of that stuff when I started. I used a typewriter pre-computer. I just got in my car and I knocked on doors. Now, a lot of people won't do that, but you can sure pick up the phone or like you say, get on Facebook, take advantage of the incredible digital resources that are out there right now. But that's what I'm doing. I'm honing my list. You asked, In answer to your question, I'm honing my list and I plan to start calling this month, actually. I plan to get started. We've been working on it for several months. I'm doing apartments and mobile home parks. I've been talking to uh, private investigators and picking their brain on solving this problem too. Right. They've got all these skip trace tactics and little tricks that hasn't been used in this business so far. Cool. That's a great idea. And that's thinking outside the box. Love it. Would you care to share your Filipino VA resource? I'm looking. Sure. Actually, part of it's in my book. Actually, what we did is very, very simple. And I actually had somebody in the Philippines doing a lot of website work for me years ago. I went back when you could have multiple websites, had 300 websites for this other business. But back then it was much harder. But today there's a Craigslist in Manila. So just go to the Manila Craigslist and run an ad. There's a little more to it than we can probably get into in this call. But some of it's in my book. Basically, as you're developing these people, you want to do it through Skype and you want to train them with little videos. Don't try to tell them what to do. And you have to stay on top of it. You have to communicate with them regularly. But if you take the time to really show them what to do, they do a fantastic job and they're 3 or $4 an hour. I'm not exaggerating, 3 or $4 an hour. It's very reasonable, but you have to train them and you have to take the time to train them. And I'll tell you one other quick tip is... When you're hiring them, you need to give them something to do to test them. Give them something easy initially and then give the finalist something harder. Give them something hard and see how they do. Some of them won't do it. If they won't, then you don't want them. But there are enough people there that want work. It was no problem for us to find a couple of great people in two weeks, and they've been working nonstop for the last few months. And you stay on top of them, and they have derails sometimes. You have to get them back on track, and you do it with screen share. You screen share video of how to do what you want done, and you send that to them, and then they get it. They speak English for the most part. Again, you want to test them a little bit, so there's some tips. Have you guys used Fiverr? Or the method yeah, that you're no, doing you, is... you can use Fiverr for sure. You can use Fiverr. You can use Upwork to find them as well, but believe it or not, we found ours on the Manila Craigslists. There you go. Oh. We didn't go over what your simple passive cash flow number is today, but what is your simple passive cash flow that you're shooting for in the future? I don't want to turn people off, but my goal is a million a month. 
And even if I only get halfway there, I'll be real good. I believe in big goals. I take goal setting very, very seriously. I write my goals. I write my whys. I get pictures of my goals. I have pictures in the back of my planner. I'm kind of old school and I've got a, what used to be a day timer. It's now a Franklin planner. And I've got pictures that have been in here for about 18 years. And the first pictures are gratitude pictures. They're pictures of my children and things that make me grateful. But then the rest of them are like houses I've wanted, cars, watches, And I've gotten three-fourths of the things in here because I put these things in front of my face. If you look at my office, there's pictures of the things that I'm looking for now. That's a big number, and yeah, that's my passive number. What would be the why behind that kind of ideal day, what kind of routine would that create? What kind of projects have you been doing at that point? I'm big on giving back. Well, that really motivates me. I want to build schools in third-world countries, self-sustaining schools where they've got some sort of a business infrastructure that I put in place so that – they literally support the community, something like maybe an agriculture infrastructure where they go to school and then they work. And so they become self-sustaining, so they don't need to be fed. Or maybe in today's digital age, maybe it's an IT infrastructure where they do things globally for people. That's one of my dreams. I have a foundation and we fed 45,000 children for the holidays the last 16 years and done thousands of backpacks filled with school supplies and thousands of teddy bears we've given to the local police departments for officers to put in their cars for when they encounter a child in a traumatic situation. And that gives me great joy. And And then I have material goals as well. I've got the, my goals have shifted. I don't need the Lamborghini anymore. I did that. I don't need the hot cars anymore. And I know those of you, a lot of you listening are thinking, man, I, that's what I want. And you got to go through that phase. And it is a phase. But Giving back drives me a lot. And having maybe a couple of houses in different parts of the world, being able to fly privately, being able to cruise the Amalfi Coast in Italy in a yacht, that'd be cool. So I've got material goals as well. But those of you that are listening, and I know that you're big on this lane, and you mentioned Tony Robbins talks about the science of achievement versus the art of fulfillment. And people that listen to these podcasts, they want financial success. And I will tell you, those of you listening, There are a lot of very successful people out there that are very unhappy because they're not fulfilled. I'll tell you a quick story on that. I built this $8 million house on the beach. This thing, this testament to my ego, 10,000 square feet, three-story waterfall from the second floor into the pool, just an incredible home. And I'm floating in my pool and it's got the light, it changes colors and I'm looking up and there's waterfall and there's a moon and it's night and I'm looking up at this house and I'm depressed. I'm thinking, what is going on? I've reached this goal that I've wanted for 20 years, and I actually got depressed. That was actually when I discovered Tony Robbins, by the way. I didn't realize it at the time, but there were two things going on. And one of them is what I'm talking about here, the science of achievement versus the art of fulfillment. I wasn't fulfilled. I had achieved, but I wasn't fulfilled, so I wasn't happy. And then I went to a Tony Robbins event and saw what he does for people and modeled his basket brigade program and fed five families back then 16 years ago. And it just went crazy since then. I've just got so much pleasure from it. There were two things going on. One was that. Okay. One was the fact that I wasn't fulfilled. But the second thing was you should never achieve a big goal without having a new goal because it's never about the goal. It's about the process. You should have a new goal queued up. Like the good book says, without a vision, the people perish. You need a vision for the future. And so I'd achieved this massive goal, and I had nothing to look forward to doing. I didn't have a vision. So there was that, and then there was the fact that I wasn't fulfilled. A lot of people don't know this. I mentioned to a few people I've met in person that come out and meet me, but 
simple passive cash flow. The simple part is getting the passive cash flow, getting a few homes. You're seeing how it works, and it's simple. But the hard part is figuring out what you're going to do with yourself after that, how you're going to get fulfillment. That's exactly right. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And it's very easy, though. It's very easy to get fulfilled. I don't care if you just make a decision, if you don't have the money, just to smile at everybody you see today. Or if you go to the Starbucks or wherever you go, ask the person you meet how they're doing. There's so many easy ways to add value that don't cost anything. And they fulfill you. When you give love or you give of yourself, you get the old cliche, you get it back 10 times. Well, it's absolutely the truth. And it works financially as well, I will tell you. You give of yourself financially, it comes back tenfold. And certainly if you just give of your heart, it comes back. If you want love, give love. If you want to be happy, spread happiness. Whatever you give, you get back. If you get anything from this episode, those of you listening, remember that you can be as successful as you want. But if you're not out there adding value to people and fulfilling people and fulfilling yourself, you failed. I'm sorry, but I hate to be harsh, but you can be a financial success, but you're a failure if you're not fulfilled and you're not out there contributing beyond yourself and helping other people. Rod, right now I'm kind of helping out with Relay for Life on their committee. And I was awesome. the other day I was thinking that I like helping out. It's kind of new to me, but this cause for giving money to the Cancer Society. I'm not a true believer that they're using the funds in the best way. I know you got that foundation, the Tiny Hands Foundation. I was just kind of wondering, how does one set something up like that? I was talking about... It's so easy. I would say don't focus as much on the mechanics of setting it up because I didn't have a formal infrastructure and I'd already fed a few thousand people and I formed it later when I got around to it. But ultimately, you set up a 501c3 tax status for whatever entity you use. But it's really just a matter of finding something you're passionate about that moves you. Like what got me was I delivered some food when I did five families and the lady came out, started crying. Her kids came out, they started crying. I started crying and I was hooked. Then so I was passionate about it. So find something you're passionate about. Just go do it. And then set it up, then formalize it. You come up with your name, but you have plenty of time to go get the tax designation and all that. If you're passionate about it, your passion will come through. You'll be able to influence other people to help you. 4,000 people, I paid for it myself up until 2007 and 2008 because the market crashed. At that point, I started taking donations. Now we've got lots of very generous people that help us out. But you can start small and let it grow and Get other people enrolled, and you've got this great podcast as a platform to tell people about whatever it is you want to get started, and you'll kill it. Yeah, that's my next thing. I just don't know what that is, so I'll be working on It'll come to you. But, yeah. So that great segue into the next question, what's something that you recently thought about burning your cash on for a time savings or an improvement in quality of life? Rod. You know what? I've got an exercise room, looks out over the water. It's in another building and I've got this compound on the water and I need some new exercise equipment in there. I need some leg machines. So that's an answer that I would burn cash on that. And that certainly improves the quality of my life because I believe the only way that you're going to be a success in life is if you have the energy to do that. And the only way you're going to have the energy is if you take care of yourself, you eat well and you exercise. Get a trainer. Yeah, get a trainer. Yep, absolutely. Or self-motivate if you can do it, but you have to have the energy. Those of you who want a financial success, you have to have the energy. That's the only way you'll get it. And to have the energy, you have it when you're young, but trust me, it ebbs and you need to stay on top of it. As you mentioned, Tony Robbins identifies two large concepts that we're continually showing the game perfection at. 
you touched upon the art of fulfillment, but what's your secret or hack to the science of achievement? Oh, there's so many ways to achieve, and it truly is a science. Tony likes to say success leaves clues. And like I was telling you, I've also spent a lot of time with Tony Robbins, 16 years actually. I was on his security team for years and consider him my greatest mentor. I've been to his business events where he talks about the different methodologies to achieve success and that it really is a science. It's empirical. I would tell you, figure out what it is you want to do and model people that are doing it. If you bake a cake and you know somebody bakes the best cake on the planet, if you model what they're doing from the ingredients to the times to the, the exact way you just stand behind them and do it the same way, it'll be the same cake. It really depends on what direction you want to go with your life, but there is a science to achievement in every particular area. Like I say, success leaves clues. You just have to find the successful people and model what they're doing. Have them become your mentor or work for them for free and model what they're doing and you'll model their success. To me, that's the science of achievement, modeling and mentorship and learning and a never-ending lifelong curiosity. Always being curious. That's the one thing I tell my kids. If at one trait I want you to have to be a success in life, business and life, it's curiosity. Any tips on finding that mentor? I know a lot of people will go on bigger sure. pockets and ask sure, for a mentor, sure. but I don't have a mentor. Yeah, you have to seek them out, Lane. You have to, maybe your RIA group meetings, there's usually a hitter there. and But don't go there just expecting to take. You have to give as well. Buy them lunch. Fill a need for them. Add value. Go out there and add value and find somebody that's killing it in single-family sales or in multifamily acquisitions and just call them and say, listen, can I buy you lunch? Don't hit them right up with the mentor question. Go meet them. See if there's a connection. If you connect, figure out how you can add value to them. Maybe you've got some digital skills. Maybe you've got some social media skills. There's some way everybody listening can add value to someone else, even if they're higher than they are, even if it's just paying for lunch, okay? Add value and then say, hey, listen, maybe you don't even say be a mentor. Maybe you say kind of follow you around for a day and just see what you do. I'm so impressed with what you do. And read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You do not want to be the one talking. You want to be the one asking questions, letting them talk. Anytime you're in a conversation and the other person does all the talking, they think it's the best conversation in the world because they're talking. Remember that. And that's basically how to win friends and influence people. That's what you want to do. Don't make it about you. Make it about them. And add value. You'll find fantastic mentors. And it's never just one. They change over the years. I'm applauding here silently. I mean, what you just said is always add value. Don't be right. that guy who's always taking. And I see it a lot. You know, you go to these things, the guy who calls me up and it's just a question train. Question, 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 question. And right. I'm like, dude, give me a chance to breathe. There are givers and there are takers out there. Right. And takers always take. And Don't be a taker. Give. Don't be a taker, guys. Don't be a taker. And think about how you operate. And I will tell you, in all full disclosure, there was a time I was a taker. And there was a time I was a narcissist. Thank God I ran into Tony Robbins and learned there's more to life than me. That opened up my life. Let me put a plug in for him. If you guys ever have an opportunity to see him live, it will be the best thing you've ever done. I'm sure Lane will concur. Go do it. Okay. There's nothing in it for me to say that except the man changed my life. I'll say some people will listen to this podcast and they hear these names of these guys, these gurus being thrown around and like, well, you know, I came here for the real estate advice, but I didn't want all this. And those of you, and let me, let me interject. Those of you that say that, 
I'm just shaking my head because that's such a huge mistake, okay? Trust me. The secret to success is your psychology. 80% of your success in anything is your psychology. Only 20% is the real estate talk. You've got to get your head right if you want to be a success. Take it from me. I'm telling you. 80% is your psychology. You need to focus on goals. You need to focus on being happy, being fulfilled, having confidence, dealing with fear, learning. All of these things is psychology. Any of you that are shaking your head saying, this isn't what I signed up for, I'm sorry, but I feel sorry for you because you're making a big mistake. So I hope you shift. That's my hope for you. And I've got that little green button down there, and I just noticed that the people who are the takers, the ask the question trains, are the same people that are saying, you know, I don't really care for that when you guys talk about this topic, subject. And I'm sure that they're the same people that never take action and do anything. Well, I hope they evolve because really it's an evolution. I hope you evolve. I'll be honest. I was 40 when I evolved. It was a long time ago, and it took me a long time. Again, remember that if your psychology isn't there, you're not going to be a success. And that's why I spend so much time talking about the psychology because that's 80% of it. All right. Great chat, Rod. Anything we missed to get your contact no. information out there? No. Again, if you want a copy of my book, text Rod, R-O-D, to 41411 and we'll get to you immediately. And check out my podcast if you're interested in multifamily. If not, Lane's is fantastic, but mine's Lifetime Cashflow Podcast. And Happy New Year and go kick butt, guys. All right. Thanks, Rod. Appreciate it. My pleasure, buddy. All right. Take care. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.